Now, I usually preach from this passage around the 4th of July about every two to three years. So you may have it marked where I preached there back from this passage in 2018, I believe was the last time. That's the thing about God's Word. You, can, you really can't actually preach from a passage more than one time. I didn't know if you all knew that or not, but, but you really can. <clears throat> I want you to look with me this morning. John chapter 8, let's start in verse 31. I want to read from 31 to 36. And I want to preach this morning a message entitled, Really, Truly, Free Indeed. Verse 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him, If you continue in My word, then are you My disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's an important verse. I want you to underline that if you don't have it underlined or highlighted or note it somewhere in your Bible. Look at it again. Verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered Him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the Son abideth ever. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Father, today, as we look at your word, I pray that we would do so with an open heart. We would do so without distractions. We would focus on what it is you would say to us. And Father, we would, when we leave this place, not just be informed from Your Word, but we would allow Your Word to have its way in our lives and we would be transformed by Your Word. I pray today we would understand the truth that's being spoken and the truth that's being spoken of. In Christ's name, Amen. Now, way back in the summer of 1776, the Second Continental Congress was meeting in Philadelphia at the Pennsylvania State House, which later would be called Independence Hall. And on June the 7th, Richard Henry Lee of Virginia stood and he read this resolution. said, Resolved that these united colonies are, and of right, ought to be free and independent states. That they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connections between them and the state of Great Britain is, and ought to be, totally dissolved. That's what was read. Now, on July the 11th, 1776, a committee was formed with the express purpose of drafting a document that would formally sever all the ties between the colonies and Great Britain. And then on July the 1st, Congress reconvened, and the following day, the Lee Resolution for Independence was adopted by 12 of the 13 colonies, and immediately, Congress began to consider the declaration drawn up by the committee. And then late in the afternoon of July 4th, 1776, the document known as the Declaration of Independence was officially adopted. And when it was, the church bells rang out throughout the city of Philadelphia. Now, I want you to list these words. Many of you have heard them. But maybe it's been a while. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, and I like this, all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I want you to hear the concluding words. And for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on divine protection and providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, our sacred honor. And then 56 American heroes signed the Declaration of Independence, for which many of them did pay for that with their lives and with their fortunes. Now, I'm going to be the first to tell you, I love America. 
I'm grateful to be an American. I love American. I don't love everything about America nowadays. I love what America was, what America is, and the idea that is America. But I do not love what America has become. Can you agree with me on that? You know, folks, many politicians, matter of fact, the vast majority of politicians of our country, they disappoint me. The political correctness and the mindset of our country and the trend that we're in, it disgusts me. Uh, the decisions of the Supreme Court in our land, matter of fact, some decisions that were made just recently, they distress me. And I'm going to tell you something. The moral decline of our country and the liberalism that has invaded the church disturbs me tremendously. Now, in spite of all those problems, and our country does have its share of problems right now, I love my country. I'm still patriotic. When they play the national anthem, as long as I'm able, I'm going to get to my feet. When the flag unfurls and the Pledge of Allegiance is said, I will stand and pledge allegiance to the flag. I still have respect, and I have a, a sense of gratitude and admiration for men and women in uniform. Folks, I will say the Pledge of Allegiance, I will salute the flag, because I believe in the freedom that that flag represents. Now, I'm going to tell you today, I not only want us to think about national freedom, but I want us to think about personal freedom. I want us to focus, yes, nationally, but more than that, I want us to focus spiritually. Now, as I said, we consider July 4, 1776 as our National Day of Independence. Now, as for me, my personal day of independence was February the 9th, 1984. You see, it was on that day when God turned the lights on in my sin-darkened heart. It was on that day when Jesus Christ, by His miraculous grace, led me out of spiritual bondage into eternal freedom. You say, preacher, I really can't remember the exact day. That's okay. As long as there was a time when God turned the lights on in your life. You know, one thing, folks, to think about, it, it's, it's, it's one thing to live in a nation where there's freedom. It's another thing to actually live in freedom. It's one thing to celebrate national independence. But it's a whole other thing to celebrate spiritual and personal independence. And spiritual independence, that's what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 8 here in verse 31 through 36 that we read a few moments ago. And again, I love John chapter 8. It's probably my favorite chapter in the Gospels. Now, it's not my favorite chapter in the Bible, and you probably know that, but it's my favorite chapter in the Gospels. And I'll tell you why. It's referred to as a chapter of contrast and conflicts. If you'll notice, verses 1 through 11, it shows the, the contrast of grace versus the law. Verse 12 through 20, the contrast of light and darkness. Verses 21 through 30, the contrast of life versus death. And then what we read a few moments ago from verses 31 to 47, it contrasts freedom versus bondage. Now, in this chapter alone, another reason I love it, Jesus forgives a woman who's taken in adultery. He encourages those who are in darkness to look to Him as the light of the world. He tells the Jews that God the Father has sent me. He speaks of His death. And He tells the Jews that without Him, they'd die in their sins. And He says, it's impossible for you to come where I am because I'm from above and you are from beneath. And throughout all this that Jesus does in this chapter... 
folks, he also reminds us that while freedom is free, it's not cheap. It didn't cost you or I anything, but freedom has a price tag that really, in reality, bankrupted heaven. Now, the first thing Jesus talks about, he speaks about uh, those that reject freedom. He talks about freedom rejected. Look at verse 32. He says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus is talking about spiritual freedom, spiritual liberty. And he indicates there are those who lack this spiritual freedom, who lack this spiritual liberty. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, the apostle speaks about the law of sin and death. Well, the law of sin and death, that's the law that rejects the freedom which Christ speaks of. Now, Jesus, what He does in this chapter, He sheds light on that law as well as the lives that reject freedom. And first, He says, those who reject that freedom, they're bound by sin. Look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Look at that word commit or committeth. I don't know what translation you may be using. But that word commit in the Greek word, it's the word poio. And it means something that is prolonged. In other words, Jesus was not talking about a one-time act of sin, but a continual committing of sin. He's speaking about a lifestyle of sin. Also, notice carefully what Jesus says about committing sin. He tells us that when you continue in that sin and committing sin, you are enslaved by that sin. Now, Jesus speaks of the servant of sin. The word servant, actually, I think everybody knows this. The word servant actually means a slave. And Jesus was saying that there are those who are slaves to sin. There are those who are in bondage to sin. Now, understand something. Committing of sin leads one to being chained by sin. And breaking the law leads one to sin's bondage. And in that aspect, we're all guilty. We've all fallen short. So those who are bound by sin, they reject freedom. But also those who are blinded by sin. Again, verse 32, Jesus spoke of the truth setting a person free. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free or set you free. That word free, Jesus uses, that speaks of someone that's been uh, uh, liberated, been bought out of bondage. They've been set free out of the chains of slavery. Now notice what the Jews say. Look at verse 33. They answer and say, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? And what they were saying and what they thought was, We've never been in bondage. We've never been slaves. Now, our ancestors were slaves to Pharaoh down in Egypt, but none of us has ever been in bondage. Then, look at verse 34, as we saw earlier, Jesus explains he's talking about spiritual bondage. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Now, here's the point that I want you to get. They were in bondage, and they didn't even realize it. They were not only bound by sin, they were blinded by sin. They thought they were free, when in reality, they were in spiritual slavery. Now, folks, here's the great tragedy of the whole matter. People are lost all over this world, and they don't realize it. People are slaves to sin all the time. They think they're free. Now, I'm sure last night there was a lot of folks who partied it up, so to speak, because of the holidays. I'm sure that they were drunk and hung over this morning. And they say, I got freedom. 
I can live my life any way I want to live it. I can go anywhere. I can do what I want to do. And the whole time, they're actually a slave to sin. There is, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, they are blinded by the God of this world. And let me get a little more personal with you. Those of you that are here, those of you that are listening at home, or maybe listen to this message. Look at verses 32 and 36. There's something I want to point out to you. Notice that phrase, make you free. I think if you got the ESV, it says uh, set you free. That phrase, make you free, that's actually one word in the Greek language, and it means to be liberated or to set free from the chains of bondage. So Jesus was saying that the life of freedom is a liberated life. That which provides freedom, understand me here, stay with me on this, that which provides freedom is the vehicle of truth. 
Look at verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, or shall set you free. Now, I'm going to get theological on you. Stay with me on this. It's not just truth that provides freedom. It's the knowledge of the truth that provides freedom. That makes sense to you? It's not enough just to know the truth. The truth has to be applied. Awareness of truth is going to leave you bound. Appropriation of truth is going to make you blessed. And churches are filled with people who are aware of the truth, but they continue to be bound and blinded and burdened by the things in their life. Because Listen, let me make it real clear. Only those who appropriate and apply the truth of God is going to be set free. A lost man who comes to know the truth, as Jesus says, he's going to be set free from the penalty of sin. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. Now, a saved person who comes to know the truth and is set free from the penalty of sin, and then they begin to grow in the truth, they'll be free from the power of sin because they understand the bloody cross and an empty tomb and that it means victory in their life and eternity. Praise God. There are times when I think back to my own personal independence when Jesus delivered me from sin's bondage and He broke the chains of sin that had kept me bound. The day of my spiritual freedom happened not because I had my name on a church row. Not because my daddy was chairman of the deacons of the church I was at. Not because I taught Sunday school. Not because uh, I could quote Scripture as good as just about any pastor or preacher I knew. Not because I was a good boy and better than a lot of folks. Folks, listen to me. What happened that day when I was saved, when a message was preached, now I might agree with it, you know, and say amen and shake my head, there was mental assent, but on that day it wasn't mental assent, it was spiritual appropriation. You see, instead of just knowing the truth, knowing Jesus, my faith was placed in Jesus. It went beyond mental assent to spiritual appropriation. There are a lot of folks who know all about Jesus. They know the truth. They know He came. He was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for, the, for their sins. They know that He was buried. He rose again three days later. He ascended to heaven. And one day He's coming again. They know all that. But they have yet to appropriate it. They have yet to, by faith, trust in His finished work. I want you to know this. Jesus doesn't say that the truth sets people free. Rather, he says those who know the truth are set free. Now, folks, there, there's the life that appropriates the truth. That's number one. That leads to a life that celebrates the truth. Look again, verses 34 and 35. Twice, Jesus describes those who have never been set free as servants or slaves to sin. In verse 34, and then verse 35 is an interesting verse. And the servant or slave abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. Now, most scholars believe that verse 35 is what's called a parenthetical parable. And what it does, it describes the difference between a slave and a son. And think about the difference. The slave has no permanent standing in the master's house. I mean, he's a slave, and because he's a slave, he can be traded. He can be sold at any moment. Therefore, he doesn't have a permanent place, a permanent standing. However, the son is a different story. Because he's a son, he has a permanent place in the home. A son enjoys the privileges of being a son and being part of the family. Now, Jesus is telling us that those who have been set free... Now, Christian, listen, this applies to you. Those who have been set free not only enjoy a liberated life, but they only enjoy a celebrated life. You're free. Really, truly free. No longer slaves. I've got to tell you, before my, quote, Independence Day, 
I was a slave. I had nothing to look forward to in my life but chains and slavery. But thank God, thank God he brought that freedom and I became a child of God. I no longer had to live in a slave's house. You know, I, I could live in the father's house. Can, can you relate to that? Hey, man, no longer are you a slave. I'm a child of God. No longer am I going to live in a shanty somewhere. I can live in the father's house. I'm no longer a pauper. But because of Jesus Christ, now I'm a prince. Instead of enduring the burdens of being sent slave, now I enjoy the blessings of being a child of God. As I mentioned earlier, it was on July 4, 1776, that the Declaration of Independence was signed by those in attendance. It was a few days later, however, on July the 8th, 1776, that the first public readings of the Declaration of Independence were held in Philadelphia's Independence Square. And it was at that, at that time, as people read and people heard uh, the Declaration of, of, of Freedom, the Declaration of Independence, then they celebrated. They had parties. Bells rang throughout the city. So let me ask you something, friend. All those listening to me here, those listening to me on Facebook, are you free? Is there a personal so-called Independence Day on the calendar of your heart? Is there a time in your life when God turned the lights on and illuminated your sin-darkened soul so that you understood the truth of Jesus Christ? Have you been set free? Are you free from the law of sin and death? Are you free from the penalty of sin? And if you have been and you're saved, do you realize not only are you free from the penalty of sin, but you're also free from the power of sin? Or, friend, are you still bound in the prison of bitterness or anger or resentment or lukewarmness or has the bells rang in your heart and there's been a celebration because you know the truth? Finally, I want you to look at something else. Notice freedom received. On March 23rd, 1775, a meeting of the colonies' delegates was, he- delegates was held in St. John's Church in Richmond, Virginia. And resolutions were, were presented putting uh, the colony of Virginia, and let me read this to you, I quote, into a posture of defense, embodying, arming, and disciplining such a number of men as may be sufficient for that purpose. Now, before the vote was taken on this resolution, a, a 39-year-old... Christian farmer by the name of Patrick Henry delivered a speech employing delegates to vote in favor of it. Now, he spoke in a voice that was clear, and it became louder and louder and climaxed in that that, that famous now ending sentence. Following the speech, the vote was taken. It passed by a narrow margin, and the colony of Virginia entered into the American Revolution. You say, why are you sharing so much history today, preacher? Well, I don't get to do it very often, and I figure the way that history is being rewritten, we may want to be reminded of it before it fades away. I'm going to tell you something. The words of Patrick Henry, I believe every American who loves their country and cherishes freedom needs to remember these words. This is what he said. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there's no peace. The war has actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? And I want you to pay attention to this. What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of change and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God. And then the famous words, I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty... Or give me death. You know what he was saying? There's no substitute for total, true freedom. True liberty. Well, friend, Jesus speaks of complete, 
total, true liberty. Look at the words in verse 36. Those words, free indeed. That actually means really, truly free indeed. Really, truly free. So let me ask you, do you want to really, truly be free? Then let me tell you that Jesus is the person who sets you free. Verse 36, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Other words, friend, in other words, it's Jesus and Jesus alone that sets people free from the burden, the bondage of sin. I want you to understand something. I want you to listen to me. Those at home, listen to me. Southside Baptist Church is not going to set you free. All right? The Southern Baptist Convention is not going to set you free. A pastor is not going to set you free. There's no denomination, no affiliation or participation that can set you free. And I want to make it real clear. You can't light enough candles to be free. You can't say enough prayers to be free. And you can't twirl enough beads to be set free. There's no social program on the face of this earth that can set you free. There's no ideology, no philosophy that will set you free. Uh... Liberalism won't set you free. Feminism won't set you free. Socialism won't set you free. Listen to me. Freedom is not found in a philosophy or a program. It's found in a person. Freedom is not found in a plan. It's found in a man. The man, Christ Jesus. The one and only. That's where true freedom comes from. Jesus is the person to set you free. Why? Because he's the only one who has the power to really, truly set you free. Look again at those verses, 36 and 32. Verse 36, Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 32, he's called the truth. Now, I've said this before. Notice it doesn't say a truth. It says the truth. Church, let me share something with you that you know, and I hope you know, and I hope you'll always remember this. As long as we proclaim the gospel, proclaim our message as a truth, we're not going to face any resistance. But when we proclaim the gospel for what it is, the truth, then there's going to be resistance. And when we say that Jesus Christ is the one and only way to freedom, to forgiveness from sin, and to eternal life. And when we stand on that, the world, they're going to mock us. We're going to be mocked and shouted down and ridiculed. We're going to be caricatured as as Bible-thumping, narrow-minded bigots by the cultural elitists, which we have and we are right now. Folks, it's sad, but today anyone who demands decency in the public arena, they're maligned. They're called crazy. They're called racist and right-wing conservatives. To all that, I say this. I agree with the Apostle Paul, and I'm going to stand with what he said in Romans 1, 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to everybody else. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of you, church. Are you? Am I at home or am I preaching in a Methodist church somewhere? Church, we have freedom in Jesus Christ. Amen? Really, truly free. Then, Lord, help us. We ought to be able to celebrate that freedom. And we ought to do it without fear. You say, well, people may not like it. I don't really care what people like anymore. I have come to the point in my life, I don't give a rip. What concerns me is what Jesus Christ likes. What what he says is right, not what the world says is right. Real true freedom does not come from experiencing a truth. 
And let me be real clear of this. Young people that may be here, those listening at home, real freedom is not from your own subjective reality of what you think of truth. Real truth and real freedom, folks, comes from knowing the truth, not a truth, not what you think is true. And I want to say this, we should never, ever feel like we have to apologize or back away from the truth. I think I've said this before, but let's be logical about it a minute. All truth is narrow. Do you agree with that? All truth is. Scientific truth is narrow. I mean, water does freeze at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Mathematical truth is narrow. Last I checked, one plus one is two. Two plus two is four. And you realize, even though the revisionists would have you believe something different, historical truth is narrow. I mean, President Abraham Lincoln really was shot by John Wilkes Booth in the Ford Theater. Fact of the matter is, here in America, we actually had a civil war. It was fought for many different reasons, not just slavery. Slavery is part of it. And I believe slavery is wrong, and I'd fight against slavery to my dying day. But slavery was not the only reason for the civil war. It was, about, it was about federal government overreach and the state's rights. Now, I know you won't hear that in the classroom nowadays, and Facebook will probably kick me off of Facebook for even saying that. But I'm going to say it again. Historical truth is narrow. Now, all truth is narrow. We all agree on that. Amen? Then, church, why in the world would we think that theological truth is not narrow? Let me tell you how narrow... Uh, narrow-minded Jesus was. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, me, me alone. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's pretty narrow-minded. I would call that narrow truth, wouldn't you? Listen to me, friend. What Jesus was saying is, Buddha can't set you free. Muhammad can't set you free. Allah's not going to set you free. The Pope's not going to set you free. No saint's going to set you free. Jesus is the only person qualified because he's the only one who has the power to set you free. Sin may burden, but praise God, Jesus is the great burden bearer. Sin, it, it, it may bind you, but the Bible makes it clear Jesus is the one who breaks the yoke of that bondage. Sin may blind you, but thank God Jesus is the one that removes the scale. Sin may entrap, ensnare, and entangle, and enslave, but aren't you glad Jesus is the great emancipator? Let me say this to everybody. Are you tired of living in spiritual slavery? Are you tired of struggling with the same old habits, hang-ups, and handicaps? Then why not today let Jesus set you free? You know, there are many Christians who've been set free from the penalty of sin, but they're still living defeated lives because of the power of sin. Because they have, they have, even though they've had the pardon that Jesus gives through His will and His work, they're still living in bondage because of sinful choices in their lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I refuse to be bound and blinded by sin. I refuse to be enslaved, entangled, to be entrapped, uh, to, to be ensnared by sin. Now, I'm not going to do it. I've been set free, really, truly free, indeed, because of Jesus Christ. Friend, I refuse to be the devil's puppet or his play toy. I refuse to be a pauper eating the devil's scraps when I'm a prince and I can be eating that banner from heaven. I refuse to live like a slave when I'm a son. I'm a child. I'm not going to stay in jail 
when I'm a joint heir with Christ and I'm not going to live like an orphan when I'm a child of the King. What about you, Christian? Are you free or not? Are you free? Don't you think it's about time you start living like it? I'm going to close with this. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you should be free indeed. Freedom comes with a price tag. However, I'll say it again.